when this is over, he'll be glad to take you to Israel. So Exactly. <laughs> and, and it's my belief that everybody will come to Israel, one way or the other. You are coming to Israel. You, might, you just might as well go ahead and get used to it now. Well, what we're going to be talking about this morning is connecting the dots. It's called From Brokenness to Healing and talking about the power perspective. And I think this, this is actually very important, especially right now. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Genesis. We're going to be going into Genesis chapter 37 real quick. And we just kind of want to set the stage of, of what's going on here. Let's go ahead and advance if you can. There we go. First of all, we want to do a, a quick recap of who sold Joseph. Because we really need to understand what's going on here to really get a better feel for what, what else is going on. So I want you to turn with me to chapter 37 of Genesis. And I want you to look at verse 28. Now, I'm going to be reading from the Hebrew, so it might read a little bit different from, from what you've got. But, and there's a reason for this. Now, I'll point this out in a moment. Now, everybody knows the story. Joseph is 17 years old at the time. He's been sent from his father uh, to go up to meet with his brothers. So he's going to leave a place called Hebron, and he's going to travel a total of 62 miles to come see his brothers. So this wasn't a trip that he was going to leave and go for and come back for, you know, at lunch. You know, he wasn't going to leave at breakfast, come back at lunch. He's got to travel 62 miles one way to see his brothers. So this is going to take a while. Of course, you know the story. He gets there, his brothers see him, they decide they want to get rid of him. There's some animosity there towards him. So they decide to throw him into the pit. And we all know the story. Reuben wanted to come, rescue him, but that didn't happen. Well, let's look now at what Scripture itself says about what happened to him. Let's look now in, in verse 28. He says, Midianite men, traitors, passed by. They, who's they? It's making reference to the Midianite men, not not the brothers. In fact, nowhere in Hebrew does it say the brothers did this. They drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Then they brought Joseph to Egypt. Well, that's where most people stop. But I want you to switch with me now and drop down to verse 36. Now, this is where our English kind of fails us. Drop down to verse 36. Now the Medanites. Now in the Hebrew, it's not Midianites. It's not M-I-D. Here it's M-E-D. So it's M-E-D-A-N-I-T-E-S. The Medanites had sold him to Egypt, to Potiphar, a courtier of Pharaoh, the chamberlain of the butchers. Now a lot of your English translations has Midianites in both places. Now, how, how do we rectify that? I want you to turn with me real quick to Genesis chapter 25. And I want you to look at verse 2. So real quick, let's turn back to chapter 25. Let's look now at verse 2. 
And of course, we know that Abraham has now taken uh, Keturah as his wife. In verse 2, it says, She bore him Zimran, Yuchshan, Medan, M-E-D-A-N, and what? Midian. They're brothers. They're related to each other, but they're two different groups of people. Now, why do I make, make this distinction? It's to show that Joseph was not just sold one time. He's being sold multiple times. But I also want to bring this out because, well, if I was the defense attorney for the brothers, I'd have to say there's no evidence here that says that the brothers actually sold him. That was their intent. I'm not trying to say that that was not their intent. That was their intent to sell him. However, when you look at Scripture, we find that it was the Midianites who pulled him out of the pit. They sold him to the Ishmaelites. Somehow the Ishmaelites take him to Egypt, and somehow now the Medanites get a hold of him. So he's being sold multiple times. Well, why is that important? Let's move advance, please. Because what we want to do now is look a little bit more at, at Joseph. Let's look at his perspective. And we really need to understand Joseph's perspective right now. Well, because we know that he's being put in prison. We find that it's a story of kidnap. It's a story of injustice. There's hurt. There's anguish. I'm sure there's a certain amount of uncertainty. And there's a story of betrayal. I want you to jump with me now to chapter 40, and let's look what it says. And here, Joseph is now explaining to the people of what his perspective of what happened to him. And it says, I was forcibly carried off. Now, wait a minute, I thought he was sold. He said, I was what? I was, basically, he's saying, I was kidnapped. I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So he's talking about not only his perspective of what happened to him, but he's talking about the injustice of what happened to him right now. Uh, um, as a 17-year-old guy going and tattling to his dad about what his brothers were doing, uh, and then telling his brothers, oh, by the way, one day you're going to bow down to me, yeah, I could see where there would be some animosity, and I could see why they would uh, want to throw him into the pit. So I can't say that he's totally blameless here, but we do know that he did the right thing when it came to Potiphar's wife. And even by doing the right thing, he's being thrown now into prison. So he's talking also about this injustice. Advance, please. Let's look at his emotions right now. You know, a lot of times we try to take some of these biblical characters and make them superhuman. We forget that they are human just like we are, and that they shared and experienced the same emotions that we feel. I'm sure with Joseph there was probably feelings of uncertainty. He didn't know what was happening to him. He knew he had been thrown in a pit by his brothers, he knows that he's been pulled out and that he's been sold. But you can imagine there's a certain uncertainty with him. What's going to happen to me? 
wait a minute, this is not what God told me. Told, you know, the vision I had is what? Everybody's going to me. How's this going to happen? I'm in prison. This wasn't part of the deal. But yet we find that even though there, he had that uncertainty, he had what we call in Hebrew, bitachon. Bitachon means trust. Now, trust and faith are not the same thing. A lot of people have faith. And a lot of people have faith in God. They have faith in His ability. But trust, that's a different story. And here Joseph had what we call bitachon. He had trust. Even though he doesn't know how everything's going to plan out, he knows he does have that trust. Let's look at betrayal. Do you think that maybe he feels betrayed right now? I mean, first of all, he's being betrayed by what? His brothers. His brothers are treating him like chattel. In other words, he's a commodity that could be bought and sold. If you can't trust your family, who can you trust? So you, there, there's those feelings of betrayal. They've betrayed him. Advance. But what about hurt? Not just physical hurt, but physical, emotional, and maybe even to a point spiritual because of that un uncertainty of what's going to happen. Advance. You think maybe he feels abandoned? Abandoned by what? His brothers? Because here's a question I have to ask. We know that the Ishmaelites pulled him out and took him out. Reuben gets to the pit. He's gone. He freaks out. He went back to his brothers, told the brothers, hey, dude, uh, he's not there. Why didn't the brothers make a, a to him? You think that he's probably wondering the same thing. Why doesn't my brother come to me? Not only that, what about dad? Why didn't dad send somebody to come get me? Or why didn't dad come get me? Because remember, Joseph doesn't know what the brothers have done in going back and telling his dad what took place. Why didn't he come? Well, wait a minute, what about this cupbearer? Remember, he gives this, this explanation of this vision that the cupbearer has. He asked the cupbearer, hey, when you stand before Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh about me. And what happened? Oh, yeah, he forgot. So, you know, there's, there's lots of feelings here of being abandoned, being isolated, advanced. And what about all the injustice? Why is he suffering for what he did not do? You know, in his mind, I'm sure he's going, what did I do with my brothers? Why did they do this to me? But then also, Potiphar's wife, he did what was right, but yet still he's thrown into this pit. Advance. So, yeah, he's got feelings of uncertainty, abandonment, anxiety, fail, hurt. I want you to now jump with me to chapter 45. Now, I want you to understand that this situation of Joseph being thrown into a pit, that was a major event for the entire family. Everyone. Obviously, Joseph, because the one that's thrown into the pit. 
But what effect did it have on, say, Reuben? Remember, Reuben's plan was to come at him, rescue him. So here, what about you? It was the one that kept with heart some of the ideas of selling him. In fact, later on, especially in Jewish history, we find out that the other brothers blamed Judah for all of it. They said, you were the ones that did this. If you had told us, look, let's take him back to dad, we would have taken him back to dad. You were the one that told us to sell him. So now Judah also has this feeling. We're going to find a little bit later on that this affected even Benjamin. We'll look at that a little bit later. But now let's look at what, what Joseph's perspective is now. In 45, verses 4 and 5, he says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now suddenly, remember at the beginning he said, I was kidnapped. Now he's going, you sold me. You know, I had quite a bit of time. By the way, from the time that he was thrown into the pit till this is about 22 years. So he's had more than two decades to think about what's go- what happened. And now, now you notice I've got that, that phrase, and now, highlighted. That's because here in Hebrew, it shows a change that's taken place. Because look at that first part. He's standing before his brothers. Now, I like to try to think of those scenarios. I try to put myself in their position and think what it must have been like. I mean, can you imagine being there? If you were one of the, the, the brothers, you know what your feelings were towards him. You knew that, yes, you were part of the group that threw him into the pit, partially responsible for him being sold. You actually wanted to kill him at one point, but one of your brothers said, hey, let's not kill him, let's make some money off of him. And you remember, he's, Joseph is the one that told you that, yes, one day you're going to bow down to me. And that kind of ticked you off. And now all of a sudden, you're before this guy in Egypt, the second most powerful man there is. And all this time, he's using this interpreter. Which, by the way, in Jewish writings, it says that Manasseh, Joseph's son, was the interpreter. That must have been quite an experience there. But stop and think about it. He's been using this interpreter talking with you, and then all at once, we find that Reuben gives his little shtick, and well, that didn't go too far. Well, it brought a tear to Joseph's eye, but that's about all it did. But then Judah comes before him, and Judah spills out his feelings and tells him about his father and so forth. This breast Joseph. And now Joseph clears the room, and now he's standing before you, and he says, in Hebrew, I'm your brother, you sold. Can you imagine what his brothers must have felt like? I put myself in like maybe Levi's situation, and I can, I can imagine myself going, oh man, this bites. <laughs> the kid was right. Oh man. Got to give it to him. He said it would happen. Oh, man, this bites. All right, suck it up. But 
You notice there at the beginning, Joseph, I, I can feel a, a certain amount of, of what? A certain amount of maybe anger, resentment. I am Joseph, your brother, the one that you sold to Egypt. But then here in Hebrew it says, and now, do not be distressed. Don't be angry with yourself for selling me here. The way it's when it, it's like suddenly Joseph has had this me. And suddenly that resentment, anger, that uncertainty is now gone. And now he's had this epiphany that this is the reason I'm here. Don't be angry with yourself. Don't be distressed. Well, you would think that this would help the brothers, right? You, you would think, okay, this is going with the brothers. Mm, not totally. Let's advance, please. He's caused it was to be a provider that God gave you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. God sent me ahead of you to assure your survival in the land and to sustain you for a momentous deliverance. There, the name that is used for God here is not the tetragrammaton. It's not the four-letter name of God. The word that's used here in this passage for God is Elohim. Elohim has to do with God's attribute of justice, God's attribute of judgment. And here Joseph is telling him that, look, the God, through his attribute of justice, he is the one who sent me here, not you. Again, you would think that they would make the brothers feel com more, more comfortable. Advance. And now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household, and ruler throughout the entire land of Egypt. Notice what he's doing. That phrase, now. His perspective changed. He's putting everything now into a different perspective. But not only, is he, not only is he changing his perspective, but what's he trying to do now with the brothers? Advance, please. Here is a phrase that I'll, I want you to write this phrase down. This is one of my favorite phrases. And... In fact, my, if my wife was tell, here, she would tell you, I, I say this phrase a lot. Gamzu latuva. Gamzu latuva means, and this too is for the good. This too is for good. And I know I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell the story again because I think it's very apropos. It not only goes along with what we're talking about here, but I think in many ways it can maybe even apply to our situation right now. There's a story of a rabbi that had gone into the countryside, and he was traveling, and he came to a village. And everywhere he stopped, the people were inhospitable. No one would give him a place to rest for the night. So he comes to the last house there in the village, knocks on the door, the person comes out, and they too are inhospitable. They will not allow him to stay. So he shakes the dust from his feet, and he leaves the village. 
And as he leaves the village, he climbs the hill, and he gets to the other side of the hill, and the sun is starting to set. And, well, he realizes that Shabbat is about to begin, so he's got to camp out there. Well, he had a lantern that he used every night for him to, to be able to study Torah. So he lights his lantern, he sits down, and he's wanting to, to study Torah, and what happens? This great wind comes and blows his lantern out. Well, the wind continues blowing, so he can't relight his lantern. He's bummed because now he can't study Torah. Now, you have to understand that to Jews, studying Torah, that's, this is a major thing. This would be like me saying you can't eat. We can't study Torah? I mean, no, this is just not acceptable. He goes to sleep. In the middle of the night, a predator comes and kills his rooster. He had this rooster that would wake him up every morning so that he could begin his day with prayer and study. But this predator came and killed his rooster. Now he has nothing to wake him up early in the morning. Not only that, but he had this donkey, this mule that would carry all of his supplies for him. A predator came and killed his, his mule. Now he has nothing to schlep all of his goods with him. He's really bummed. It's like, what else can go wrong? Nobody will let me stay here. The wind blows out my lantern. The predators have come. They've killed my rooster. They killed my mule. What else could happen? He wakes up the next morning. And as he wakes up, he looks across, and he sees smoke coming from the other side of the hill. And he runs to the top of the hill, and he looks down at the village. And he sees that the entire village has been set on fire, and the people have been killed. And he stops, and he thinks for a moment, if the people in the village had been hospitable, I too would have been killed. If the wind had not blown out my lantern, Perhaps the soldiers would have seen the light and come after me. If the predators had not come and killed my rooster and my mule, perhaps they would have made noise and the soldiers would have come after me. And he stopped for a moment and said, Gamzu Latova. This too was for the good. This is basically what Joseph is telling his brothers. Gamzu Latova. This too was for the good. It wasn't you that sold me. It wasn't you who brought me here to Egypt. It was God who brought me here. And he brought me here for a specific reason. Don't be angry with yourselves. It was his plan. Advance. I want you to drop down now to chapter 50 of Genesis because once again, the brothers are still, still have a certain amount of trepidation. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And once again, he's using that term Elohim, meaning what? Having to do with the attribute of justice. In other words, he's saying, am I the God of justice? Am I in his place? He says, no, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Advance. What has happened? 
Yes, Joseph has changed his perspective up and what is he doing for his brothers? He's now trying to get his brothers to change their perspectives. Now, why is that important? I don't think there's anybody here, whether you're in the building or uh, uh, on, online watching, I don't think there's any of us here that could say that we've never been hurt, that we've never been betrayed or felt abandoned or felt have feelings of insecurity, uncertainty. I don't think any of us could say that we've never experienced that, especially right now. But our perspective of things can change. We cannot change what happened in the past. Those, hurt, those things that happened to Joseph, they still happened. He was still sold. He was still thrown in the pit. He was still sold multiple times. He was still tempted by Potiphar's wife. He was still thrown in prison because he refused her advances. None of that changed. But what did change was his perspective of things. Now, why is that important? Because a lot of us seem to, to take those hurts, those insecurities, those betrayals, and let it rule over us. We harbor that bitterness. We harbor that insulate our own prison. And this is where changing your back to things, while it may not erase those ends, it can create healing. And I want you to notice that when Joseph's brothers were standing there with Joseph, and he changes his perspective, I want you to understand how big a deal that was. Advance, please. We find that Joseph is helping his brothers to revise their myths of the past, and we can't fully understand what is happening to us now until we can look back in retrospect and see how it all turned out. How many times have we had opportunities that fell apart? Maybe we had to fight for this job, and we thought, man, this would be the job for us, and then we get the job, we were all bummed out. But later on, we got a much better job, or a house, or whatever. And then we can look back and go, boy, am I glad I didn't get that job, or boy, am I glad I didn't move into that neighborhood, or boy, am I glad we see the whole picture. Us. And we say that if we can see the big picture, we won't be held emotional prisoners of painful memories of the past. By action in the future, we can redeem our past. And that's important. Advance. I want you, let's go back to that moment. Joseph is standing before his brother, there with his brothers. That was probably one of the most pivotal moments in history. Because stop and think about this. Joseph, with one, one phrase, could have had his brothers killed right now. He could have had them all thrown in prison. And he would have been justified. Remember, they're the ones that wanted to get rid of him. They threw him into the pit. He's been sold multiple times. And now it could be tit for tat. You threw me in prison, I'm going to throw you in prison. He could have done that. He could have wiped out Israel right there before Israel even really had a beginning. And what would have happened? If he had done that, what? Well, 
no Israel. Oh, wait a minute. Then no Ten Commandments. No Jewish prophets. No Messiah. No Judaism. No Christianity. That was a very pivotal moment. What if Joseph had hung on to those emotional, that emotional pain of his past and acted out on it? And he would have been justified. But he didn't. His per perspective changed on it. And he realized what was really important. And what was important at that moment? What was important was reconnecting with his brothers. I look at the situation that we're going through right now. It's a global thing. It's not just limited to one area. It's global. But oddly enough, Pastor, I see some good things in this. And everybody goes, what? No, I see some good things. And it's because of my perspective on it. And let's look at the good. Number one, it's caused families to have to eat at home again. Now, you laugh, but I remember a time, uh, as well as I'm sure many of you do, when everybody would sit down at the dinner table as a family and had a family meal. Up until this point, that was almost unheard of anymore. But guess what? <laughs> now we have to sit down as a family again. Well, number one, because there's no restaurants that's open that you can go to. So we're forced to have to, what? Eat as a family. But that's also causing us to what? Kind of like Joseph and his brothers having to reconnect with friends, family. Looking at what's really important. And I know I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, the way I look at it, I'm always in trouble. It depends what level of trouble I'm in. So this is really going to get me in trouble, especially with the guys. Right now, school sports is not the most important thing. Now, don't get me wrong, I like sports too, but it's not our odd. And right now, what it's done, what's happened, now we can focus on things that are more important. Family, survival, connection. Not just connection with other people. Connection with God. So, yeah, there's some good things. And I put this still, ma shalom. Ma, ma in Hebrew means what? What peace? I believe that by changing our perspective of the past and how we choose to write the next chapter of our lives not only changes the f our future, but affects everyone around us. By our actions today, we can redeem much of the pain of the past. And yes, this situation right now is causing a lot of pain for a lot of people. Not just financial, emotional, Especially ex extroverts. Extroverts are freaking out right now. You know, the extroverts, those are the people that are real into people lovers and very active socially and so forth. They feel like they're in prison right now. So there's that emotional pain. Now, introverts, 
And I know this is going to shock you. I am very much the introvert. I'm very happy being alone, thank you. And so for us, for introverts, this is like <sighs> social distancing, not a problem. Me time. But while there is emotional pain, financial pain, and so forth, I think maybe we need to look at what good can come out of this. Not sure why, what the reason is. Not sure why God allowed this to happen. It doesn't really matter. What matters is he did allow it. Perhaps what can I learn from this situation now? It puts me to mind of what's really important in life. My relationship with God, my relationship with others. Those things are important. Advance, please. It kind of reminds me of a deal on Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. and On Yom Kippur in the synagogue, it's a total fast. No eating, no drinking, no, no food at all for 25 hours. And for a lot of people, no sleep. It is a time that we spend in prayer, in introspection. And one of the things that we use in the synagogue is called a makzor. A makzor is a prayer book. And it's designed specifically for Yom Kippur. And in it, there's a section called the Vidui. And the Vidui are the confessions. And yes, it's written. So, a lot of people say, yeah, but it was, that, that's a written prayer. That's a bad thing? Let's see. How many people say the Lord's Prayer? Oh yeah, that's a written thing too. Perspective, folks. But in it, when we say the Vidui, we will strike our chest and we'll make the confession. Now, if you notice here, it says forgive us. It doesn't say just forgive me. The reason being is because in Jewish thought, every Jew is responsible for every other Jew. That means that maybe I'm not guilty of it, but maybe my Jewish brother is. Because we're family, because we're a community, we're all guilty of it. So we will strike our chest with our right hand as we will say the voodooing. So we would strike our chest and say, forgive us for not recognizing your hand and our daily lives. Now you stop and think, is that sinful? Is that a sin not to recognize His hand in our daily life? Well, to us, to us it is a sin. And as a congregation, we say, forgive us, for we have failed to see Your hand in our daily life. We chalk everything up to either fate or coincidence, not realizing that it's actually you at work in our lives. Again, this is a global thing. And I have to look at it, and I have to ask, Pastor, what can we as a people learn from this? What good? 
can come out of it. He allowed it to happen. That means there's something there. There's something there. And I think there's a lot of lessons that we can, can learn. And pastor, this was a hard thing for me to learn. This type A personality that I have, we like to take charge of everything. And traveling as much as I travel, I used to get, in, get so upset because I would be in the same Wisconsin and a van would break down. And I used to get frustrated about Joe and go, what? You couldn't let this happen in Dallas? Where I could have just had it fixed tomorrow, today or tomorrow? Oh no, you had to bring it out to where it's 10 buck two. Get it out somewhere. And what do you mean? What do you mean I have to order the part? What do you mean it's going to take a week to get it here? I found that every time that happened, there was a reason for it. Sometimes the reason was because God wanted me to come and contact somebody to help them. But pastor, there were several times that something like this happened to me. There was me that needed it. Wisconsin was one of those situations where my van did break down and I was stuck there for two weeks. I needed it. I've been traveling for a while and well, being on the road and going to all these different places, CC become disillusioned. Especially when seeing some of the things that I see. I was at that point, Pastor, of being disillusioned. And I had made the comment to God, look, I'm going to finish this tour, and then you choose somebody else. I'm tired of dealing with it. Get somebody else. So what does he do? He allows my van to break down. But the church where I was, where I was speaking, they, will, they tell you that I really ministered to them. Maybe. But they were the ones who really ministered to me. The pastor had this unique ability of looking at me and saying, so, how is Dale doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm doing good. Hmm, yeah. Dale, the teacher is doing great. How's Dale the man doing? He said, I was a missionary for a long time. My brother is a missionary. I know what it's like. I know what it's like being on the road. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. But how are you doing? Hmm. But how are you really doing? Hey. All right, I'm disillusioned, right? I'm ready for let God choose somebody else for a while. I'm telling with traveling, doing all this stuff. Let somebody else do it. You like fishing? Oh, yeah, I love fishing. I think we need to go fishing. I have a couple of guys in my church that, are, uh, that work for, as fishing guides. So let's, let's go fishing. Those two weeks, I was the one that needed to be ministered to. And Pastor, I, don't, I can honestly say that if it had not been for that individual, that pastor, 
I don't know that I would, continue, would have continued doing what I'm doing. Now I can look back at that situation and go, Gamzu this too was for the good. At the time, I didn't think it was too good. Advance, please. I said that it affected even Benjamin. I want you to do something with me. Let's, let's go back to Genesis chapter 46 and look at verse 21. Now, when I first started to work on this presentation, my wife actually asked me, well, what are you going to talk about? And I said, I'm, I'm going to talk about this, but man, there, there's just something about this, this genealogy that, man, I just I can't let go of it. And her response was very honest. That's going to be boring. Because you know everybody loves genealogy. I know, I know, but there's something here. I just can't let go of it. This sounds really boring. But there's something here. I just can't release it. So let's look at this. I want to turn to Genesis chapter 46. And here it's mentioned, in verse 21, it's mentioned Benjamin and his sons. Now, I know you all love genealogies. It's your favorite thing. Let's look at what it says. Benjamin's sons. Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Eli, Rosh, Mupim, and Ad. Okay? Big deal, right? It is until we start looking at what their names mean. First one, Bella. Comes from the word meaning to be swallowed up. What happened to Joseph? Wasn't he swallowed up by the pit? Becher. That comes from the Hebrew word Bechor, meaning firstborn. Oh yeah, Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. Ashbel. Comes from the word meaning captive. What happened to Joseph? He was being held captive. Look at the next one, Gera. Gera, that, that, that word can be translated different ways. Ger is a sojourner, a, a, a stranger. Gera, we, we can also use it in talking about where do we live. And what is it talk about? It talks about Joseph, that he, Joseph right now is what living as a stranger in a foreign land. Naaman comes from that word meaning pleasant. Well, Joseph was pleasant. Had a very pleasant disposition. Achi, achi. Now that that's weird. I'm going to name my son my brother. But that's what Benjamin did. Benjamin named his son Achi, which means my brother. And Joseph lost his brother, his only full brother. Rosh comes from the word meaning head, chief. Well, right now, Joseph is the head. Mupim, Hupim, that comes from the word Hupa. Hupa is a marriage canopy. Benjamin missed Joseph's wedding, and Joseph missed 
Benjamin's wedding. And then you have Ard, meaning he went down. Benjamin is actually telling you Joseph's life without even knowing exactly what happened. And this is where we say even the genealogies are important. Of course, Christianity recognizes a lot of similarities between Joseph's life and life of, of Jesus. We look at how Joseph stood before his brothers and did not allow any pain, hatred, resentment to manifest. Instead, he tried to put things in perspective for them. Pastor, what would have happened if Jesus, when he was being crucified, had changed his perspective? Would he have been justified in pronouncing judgment on everybody? Oh, then what would have happened? Everybody's turned against him. He's been betrayed. He's being punished for things he hadn't done. But what was his perspective? You're not the one who put me here. God brought me here for a specific reason. That's why we say our perspective of things is very important. And I think as we all go through this very difficult time, I think our perspective is going to be important. Not only in survival of people, but now, Pastor, you may throw something at me here. Somebody may throw something at me. This thing does for us, it tests the metal of who we are, what we are. My second phrase that I love is, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. I think this can be a powerful moment if our perspective is right and if we use this to our advantage. Perhaps through the social media, perhaps people can be reached that ordinarily would not have been reached. They're forced to stay home now because we can't work. We can't go out. This could be a good thing. Good thing. Thank you for allowing me to come and share with you. Thank you for all those who have tuned in via the internet, allowed us to come into your home. I hope today I've challenged you to challenge you to look at the perspective that doesn't change our past or people. We keep those things in Boston. And as the pastor said, yes, I do have tours. I got three tours to Israel planned for next year. And Israel is going to need you to come. So, Pastor, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come and be with you. Thank you for allowing me to, to come today. Uh, Spot everything that's going on. I appreciate that.